Welcome back to So Wait Pause, the podcast where we pair a good and bad movie and get drunk while we do it. This is Ashley, and I'm with my favorite drinking buddy, Sean. Hey. Hi. I haven't seen you all day. It seems to be the beginning of most of these. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> I mean, we kind of like stay in different parts of the house. Yeah. I go to campus, you stay in. Yeah. But you didn't even go to campus today, and I didn't see you. Yeah. So... I have been on a very heavy, um, now, don't act too surprised when I tell you this, mm-hmm. but a very heavy true crime slash, like, crime drama kick. Uh-huh. Like, I just finished The Staircase, which I'd already, like, the HBO show that they just did of it. I'd right. already seen the documentary twice. Um, just did that. I just finished Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix. I um, just watched the Murder Among Mormons uh, docu-series on Netflix, which is fascinating. Yeah, so we have a conversation about this all the time, because I'm sure that we've brought it up on the podcast before, but the way you go to sleep every night is basically watching some sort of, like, true crime, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. what What are the main, like, Dateline? Dateline, Secrets Uncovered is my number one, go Secrets Uncovered, um, but it's always to something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, like, an hour-long thing, and it's kind of just background noise. Yep. But, you know, you, you have all this anxiety <laughs> as a human being, <laughs> and I, I don't know if falling to sleep every single night to literally, like, little did she know, all of her organs were going to be pulled out of her body, <laughs> like... You know, like that rarely happens. It's usually stabbing or being shot or maybe sometimes bludgeoned with something. Those things don't give you anxiety. No, like I don't I don't have any anxiety about that. My anxiety is about like my heart rate is going too fast and it's going to explode. Yeah, your or heart can't explode. It can't. Well, it can like you can go into cardiac arrest because it's going sure, too fast. Actually, yeah. <laughs> but like just not like randomly. Well, maybe randomly. I get so nervous. Like I take, I take a lot of medication at night, a lot of it before the anxiety, (laughs) but I just like, I like sit there and I wonder like, are these medications supposed to be taken together? Like, could they like counteract each other and like be causing me to have a heart attack right now? Yeah. I don't know. But like, I don't have fears of like someone breaking into the house or things like that. Well, sometimes you do. And you I, do have, like, uh, carbon monoxide fears and Yeah, and I'm terrified of, of things like carbon monoxide. Like, I'm scared of the silent killers. <laughs> I, not the non-silent killers. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, I feel like, I, I'm going back to this, I feel like those are still naturally, like, fight or flight, flight response-inducing stories. Right, but I'm never, but I'm never, I don't have bad dreams about getting murdered. I don't have, like, like listening to Dateline at night, like, it's so procedural, and it's, like, the same formula every time. I find it so soothing. Yeah, but isn't it also the case with, like, Chopped or, like, something that's not about being murdered? Yeah, but, like, I'm also at, like, a point in my life where I'm trying to, like, make healthier eating choices and things. And I found when I was watching Food Network, what used used to be my go-to, like, fall asleep mm-hmm. TV, I was having dreams about food. And well, what I was, about like, thinking House about, Renovation? The, that's your other go-to show. Uh, house Hunters. No, I'm <laughs> saying, like, House Renovation shows. Right, no, but House Hunters was, like, the one I like to fall asleep to. Mm-hmm. Because that's procedural. Kind of, but, like, I don't, I just, I enjoy the murder. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's literally, like, that TikTok that's, like, 
riding in the car with your wife and it's mm -hmm. like her tongue was cut out her eyelids were yeah, plucked like, off <laughs> those are things that like i really enjoy it is weird like i don't i know where this is gonna go and i challenge you to not go there mm -hmm. with it yeah so please don't you mean the fact that white women love like some weird Right. Eroticism the, surrounding murder. Yes. And the entire thing is that it's like desensitizing us to it because in reality, the only time like it can kind of make me anxious is if I start to like think about it, like actually happening to someone I know or like the situation happening to me. Yeah. Which I never do. And mm -hmm. like, it's very rare that I ever actually do that. It's just like a murder mystery to me. Like I love murder. I've always adored murder mystery books. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I understand that aspect of it because a lot of it is like people trying to piece together clues and things like that. It's just a little messed up that it's like based on real people's lives. Yeah. That and like and I get that. And I understand that I am a huge part of the problem. I mean, this isn't you. This is like a cultural phenomenon, right? Right. So <laughs> like I'm not isolated going to, to one segment of the population in particular. Right. So like. It, do I have high anxiety and a lot of panic attacks? Yes. Do I think Dateline is the reason? No. Yeah. I do mean, I think my like... WebMD is the reason. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, Google is a huge reason. It's just like, I mean, my issue is that like, I'm subconsciously thinking about things. And because they're subconscious, like, I don't recognize that I'm thinking about them. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, my chest is really tight, and it feels like my heart's going to explode. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what happened. And so then I start thinking of all, like, the medical weirdness that could be happening to me right now. When, in reality, I'm probably just, like, was ruminating on probably a shitty customer call I had that day. Yeah, right. I and mean, like, that's more likely. Right. More like I'm a perfectionist and can't handle, well, I can handle it, obviously. But I, it obviously deeply affects me when things do not go perfectly or like i feel like i messed something up right in my head is this kind of like dexter's lab where he fell asleep with the uh the omelette du fromage like repeating over and over and over again and then he wakes up and he can speak french but he can only say that phrase yeah that's kind of like i mean that's that was what's happening with when i was watching food network at night like i'd wake <laughs> up and want to eat like the really buttery delicious thing they were making on food network when i was falling asleep yeah well i mean I fall asleep mostly to like comedies, like uh, yeah, it's like all you serialized watch. comedies, and I don't dream about comedy. Yeah, but you don't have an addiction to food like I do. <laughs> I do have a lot of horror dreams, but I don't ever watch horror stuff at night. Well, I mean, we'll watch scary movies at night. I'd say one of my most common dreams are like dreams of like invasion, yeah, like like home invasion, yeah. and those types of things. And I really don't watch that much horror, especially not home invasion yeah, horror, no. especially not before bed. But that's, like, one of the big ones. That yeah. one, it's normally something I have to escape. Not, not just, like, home invasion, but, it like, normally an entity of some sort, normally a person um, that I have to get away from. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to psychoanalyze this because I don't believe in psychoanalysis anyway. But So as a psychologist? Yeah, I mean, a lot of psychologists don't believe in psychoanalysis. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that <laughs> you have a reason to say it like you're a psychologist. Right, right, right. Well, and I don't know how much... Uh, you know, research there is into, like, if falling asleep hearing things actually, like, Im impacts your underlying anxiety or whatever. I do know that being around it all the time could, if that's something that you, like, are worried about. Yeah. But clearly you're not. So just don't watch a serial about people who died of carbon monoxide poisoning. 
Yeah, that's the type of stuff like I just can't do. Right. Well, in less uh, serious note, there's a couple of stories I saw in the news today that you probably have not heard about yet. One, it's basically, and this makes me want to select the Goonies, which I've already been waiting for the Goonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will eventually choose the Goonies, and maybe now is a good time. Because essentially, the Goonies happened. <laughs> not with a group of, of like a ragtag bunch of teenagers, right? But mm-hmm. I read the news today. Uh, National Geographic reported that they just found a sunken Spanish galleon off the coast of Oregon. Hmm. It's like kind of like literally the, the <laughs> one part of the premise of the Goonies. Because <laughs> I think they're in Seattle, aren't they? Or like Washington State, I think. Sean, you know I've never seen the Goonies. Oh, you've never seen it? No. Oh, I thought you just hadn't seen it in a while. No, That's I've ridiculous. The Goonies is so popular. No, it's like your favorite movie. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, so basically when I will, it actually was out there. Mm-hmm. Or something. Some sort of Spanish galleon. How it got there, I don't know, because that's, like, not a common place for a Spanish galleon to be, right? Because it's Pacific Ocean, not Atlantic. Right. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of sunken Spanish galleons in the Atlantic Ocean, but what a crazy thing. So that is one part of it. I'm pretty sure that they're on the in the Pacific Northwest, the Goonies are. I'll have to look that up. Whenever I check it, I'll look back into it. So that's one crazy story. Another crazy story I saw, also on the Pacific side of the U.S., in Alaska. I think it was Alaska. There was a school... I actually have the the article still here because I sent it to one of my friends who's a teacher. Let me pull it up real quick. Here we go. Are you ready for this? Yes. Alaska students served floor sealant instead of milk for breakfast due to mix-up, school district says. Holy shit. <laughs> and when you, when you look through the article, it's basically like administrators being like, yeah, the kids were saying that the milk tasted really funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's a little bit more than funny. It's not milk. And floor sealant doesn't look like milk. Apparently it does. Also, do they just have glasses? Like, school kids normally get, like, carton milk. I don't know. This is very confusing. Like, how do you get floor sealant? They must literally have glasses that they pour, like, a jug milk into or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. But how? How how do you do that? And it, it's not the same color. I mean, maybe it's the same color. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like you could mistake floor sealant for milk. And then give it to a lot of students. Yeah. What a crazy thing. Those are the two craziest stories that I saw today in the news. Those are crazy. Spanish galleon is more fun than floor sealant. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are we watching tonight? Um. So, movie number one. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. And as I said before, I really like this movie. Um, the comedy is very kind of specific to the time period when it was released. So I hope that it still holds up, but I think it will. I think the jokes are like generalizable enough. It, not everything's like a reference to that exact time period, but it's just the aesthetics are very like keyed into that time period and the actors that are in it are in that time period. So very specific to when it came out. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I really liked it. And I think it'll still be really good. And then that movie is paired with My Super Ex-Girlfriend. And we talked about that a little bit last time. But it's just Luke Wilson, Uma Thurman uh, meet each other. He doesn't know that she's a superhero. They end up breaking up. She has superpowers and basically goes on to terrorize him after he breaks up with her. Mm-hmm. Like an overly possessive ex-girlfriend, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. But she also has superpowers. 
So in terms of Scott Pilgrim, you have seen Scott Pilgrim, as we said, so you won't get a shot in the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get a shot in the dark on my Super Ex-Girlfriend, though, right? You haven't seen that? That is accurate. Yeah. So Scott Pilgrim uh, had plenty of rules online. Do you want to tell the people what Scott Pilgrim is in case they don't know? Uh, actually, yeah, I should start off with that. <laughs> Hopefully a number of people have seen Scott Pilgrim. I guess it could be like a cult type thing. I mean, actually, I wouldn't have seen it unless I started dating you. Yeah, I read a thing not that long ago that basically listed it as one of the like 50 most underrated movies. I don't think it made a ton of money right when it came out. I don't know if it lost money, but I don't think it like made a killing. I don't think it was like a smash hit. But it was popular. It had pretty good critic reviews. And I think it's one of those movies that got more popular over time. So in the few years after it came out, many more people started watching it. Um, it is, again, still... I mean, it's kind of like a nerd comedy. So it's like it's also that genre of movie, right? So it's like a lot of video game references, comic book references... It's not, like, too niche in those areas that you're not going to understand. Uh, it's kind of that type of, like, you know, like, nerd humor but for the masses, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, you're not referencing, like, a video game that only serious gamers know. You're implying that these are, like, oh, this is, like, such a serious gamer. But he plays Legend of Zelda. Like, right. it's, like, stuff that people have heard of, right? right. And, like, uh, he plays Mario, Super Nintendo. It's, like, those types of things. Right. That's how they made, like, this nerd humor mainstream Mm -hmm. in in, especially in this era Mm -hmm. uh now i feel like we're moving straight into like pure nerd culture (laughs) because like anime is more popular than ever on a mainstream level Mm -hmm. you're seeing like way more references like nfl players are talking about anime and Mm -hmm. like all sorts of stuff comic books mcu is now like the biggest money maker on the planet so like we're in a different different headspace than we were when this movie came out but here's the synopsis Oh, this is a very short one. Let me find maybe a little bit longer one. Oh, no, this is fine. In a magically realistic version of Toronto, a young man must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes one by one in order to win her heart. That's a perfect summary. It's literally, I mean, <laughs> kind of spot on, but it, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Right. So this is set in Canada. Michael Sarah is Canadian too. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of popular people in this movie who I think we'll recognize as we watch it. We'll talk about that when we get back. But yeah, the rest of the premise is basically just essentially that Scott Pilgrim is in a band. He meets this girl who is kind of like a manic pixie dream girl, falls in love with her, and then gets contacted by these evil exes and has to defeat them. In terms of the drinking rules, I found a lot of different sites that have drinking rules for this. So it's going to be a really easy movie to drink to. And if I remember, the movie's like pretty funny, too. So I think there's going to be a lot of like recurring jokes and, and things that will be easy to like laugh and drink to. So first, Kim Pine Scowls. Kim Pine is the drummer that is in their band, played by, I think, Pill. Isn't that her name? Uh, Allison Pill. Allison Pill. Uh, who then went on to the newsroom and in uh, those types of things. Yeah, she's been on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Someone says Scott Pilgrim's name. Now, I th- if I remember right, I think they say Scott Pilgrim a lot, or at least Scott. So maybe it will be Scott Pilgrim, like how we used to drink to Harry Potter, right? So not just Scott. I think it should be Scott Pilgrim. Uh, anytime that there's a reference to a video game, which, as I said before, this kind of makes a lot of references to those types of things, comics, video games. Mm-hmm. But I think video game's a good one. There's a whole lot of aspects of this that build. So it's not just referencing comics, but also kind of working in, not comics, video games, 
there's also like working in things like health bars and experience and stuff like that. So I mm-hmm. think that's a good one that we can, anytime we see that, either a name, a game being played, or a game mechanic, right, in the movie, I think that's a good one. Uh, anytime Ramona changes her hair, because what you'll notice, Ramona is the love interest and she's played by, uh, what's her name? Winstead. Yeah. But what's her full name? Mary, Mary Elizabeth. Oh, I was going to say Mary, Mary Beth. Beth. Uh, it is kind of. It's definitely what she gets Mary called. Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, so she plays Ramona, the love interest, and she's constantly changing her hair. So, And that, that plays a, a role in the movie as well. Anything else? Uh, and then I'd say that anytime you get introduced uh, to a new ex-boyfriend or yeah, that's an, ex, a good one. an, an evil, evil ex, because it's evil exes, not just evil ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And that's, that's also part of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. So evil exes. Uh, or you see them use one of their powers. We could do either one. I think definitely getting introduced to one of the evil exes is a good one. Yeah. So those are the main drinking rules. I think that's enough for this because that's yeah. already quite a quite a bit. Okay. Well, I'll, I guess we should go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. And we're back from watching Scott Pilgrim. What did you think? That I can't say the word pilgrim very well. <laughs> uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was great too. It really held up. I Like I said, going into it, I thought that it was maybe going to be a little dated because it, it makes so many references to the decade that it was in. Yeah. And uh, I thought it still worked. I did too. Like I, I think I liked it more watching it this time than the first time I watched it. Is there anything that a like Gen Z or Gen Alpha type person today watching this, If are there any references they would miss? Because it is so much. I think it's more the, like, stylistically from that decade than it is, like, references. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, there's no way I could possibly keep up with that. What do you mean? Like, there's no way I could possibly keep up with, would so-and-so understand this? Oh. Because <laughs> I barely know why I understand something. No, no, yeah, yeah. I just meant, like... You know, after like a decade or so, some of the references we make, like the people we're talking about, the stuff we're talking about, it's like gone, right? It's like right. people aren't talking about that anymore. Yeah. So, you know, you have those things that last for like one year of like, like in our undergrad, like there's, there would be something like a meme or something that is just popular for one year. Yeah. And then it's gone. It's like how when I'm playing Name That Tune with my team at work and I put on Britney's Drive Me Crazy. And it took them like a good two minutes to figure out what the song was. I'm, I'm surprised they even figured it out. What? <laughs> we have young, younger people working for you. But it's Britney Spears. Yeah, Ashley. But that's like our parents being like, yeah, but it's Three Dog Night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Isn't that the band from... Who's <laughs> <laughs> famous? From what? Is that... That's, no, that's... No, a, that's a real band. Sorry. I was thinking of the... But you know what I mean? Band. It's yeah. like... That's like when we're... At your parents and we're on the boat and you know they play something from like the 70s and no i know all that our music. nephews don't know it and they're like oh my god how do you not know hall notes i know like i don't want to be that person and that's why it upsets me <laughs> that somehow i'm edging into becoming that person like i refuse like i refuse to when i'm around someone younger than me and like they don't know a reference i refuse to be like you don't know this? Like, I can't. Like, I refuse to be that person. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, we shouldn't be that person, but it's hard to keep up. I refuse you know, to with... be old. <laughs> <laughs> I reject it. It's just, I don't know. For You have to imagine that for some people, especially if they're young enough, like, 
they weren't alive. You know what I mean? For for these older things. So like sure. this isn't that old. This is this is relatively new. Uh relatively. It's still like it's over ten years old. Sure. I wasn't alive for Simon and Garfunkel in their prime, but I know every Simon and Garfunkel song. Right, but a lot of people don't. Ugh. Uh but but all that aside, uh it doesn't really matter because there aren't really references that are stuck in those decades. So that's not a problem. A perfect example, referencing Casey Anthony. Like that didn't happen in this, but I was just, I was trying to rack my brain of like, I was trying to rack my brain of like, what's something that got talked about so much in this time period that nobody talks about anymore. And that would be an example. And like, those are the types of things that are going to fall by the wayside. And unless they release like a new documentary or a new whatever about it, like people younger than us are just not going to know who that is. Yeah, I suppose. Um, What a great callback was was I completely forgot that Chris Evans mm-hmm. was in this. Yeah. And he's in a phone booth. He's in a phone booth. Maybe he wasn't. No, he was in a phone booth. I do not remember that. I'm pretty sure I wrote down Chris Evans in a phone booth. But did I mean Chris Evans was in Cellular and now he's in this? Surely not. Surely he had to have been in a phone booth. Maybe he made a call from a phone booth. I think he made a call from a phone booth, which he was in Cellular and our movie pairing for that was phone booth. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure I remember him in a film booth. Sure. I, I, and I don't know what. Uh, so Cellular came out in like the mid 2000s, right? I think. I don't remember. I think that, that would have been before this, I think. Uh, but even this would have been before Captain America. So yeah. we're getting earlier Again, Chris Evans. Can I argue that the highest paid person in the United States should be Chris Evans' agent? Who somehow turned his career around. Yeah. It's also funny because the first time that you see Chris Evans, he's just referenced. Scott Pilgrim's roommate really likes this guy, and he's about to watch this uh, movie marathon of Chris mm-hmm. Evans. Well, He's like an action star. Yeah, he's an action star. Whatever his name is. I can't remember off Lucas the top of my head. Lucas Lee. Lucas Lee? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, there we go. So, Lucas. He's about to do that, but the marathon that he's watching is on Spike TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time you see Chris Evans. Uh, but that's not the only person. You also brought up that there are a couple other superhero people, uh, one of which was the other ex-boyfriend who's, uh, like, vegan, and he gets, like, superpowers from being vegan. Didn't yeah, you say yeah. he played Superman? Oh, yeah. He, um, uh, Brandon Roth, he, yeah, he played Superman in the early aughts remake of Superman. I don't even remember that one. Um, and God, we even talked about who was his lowest lane. Oh, um, Claire Dane, not Claire Danes. Um, I can see her face, but I can't think of her name. She dated Orlando Bloom. Oh, this is going to kill me. Who was Lex Luthor? Cause we talked about that too. Was it Kevin Spacey? Uh, I thought we said Kevin Spacey maybe, was somehow yeah, related I think he, to this. I think he was in that one. One second. We're getting a little off track, but we're not. <laughs> this is the exact track we're supposed to be on. <laughs> Don't come for me. Luckily, Brandon Roth is in my early uh, IMDb searches since we just searched for it. Um, okay, his lowest lane was Kate Bosworth. I do not know why I could not think of that to save mm. my life. I wouldn't have come uh, up with that. Yes, Kevin Spacey was his love Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> A real villain. Uh, Cal Penn, wasn't it? I, I remember, remember it very vaguely, but I don't think I ever saw it, and I don't think it was very good. Mm. Richard Branson played a shuttle engineer. <laughs> yeah, and it was horrible. It was a horrible movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't definitely haven't seen that. 
There's just things that like I get obsessed with. And for whatever reason, at that moment in time, I was obsessed with seeing that movie. But was it because of Smallville or something like that? I don't, I wasn't obsessed with Smallville. Like I, you were. No, like I really liked Smallville. Like that was a show I enjoyed watching, but like I wasn't obsessed with it. For whatever reason, I was obsessed hmm. with needing to see that Superman movie. That's really weird. <laughs> I can't tell you at all why. <laughs> of all the movies. That's really weird. Was there a cameo of someone you liked? Now, I was kind of just looking through the cast to see if there was, but I was like, was there like a Sarah Michelle Gellar? Like that was that era of whatever, but no. Hmm. I don't know. That, that, that's a weird one. Uh, but all this to say, uh, this is a good movie to drink whenever you forget that someone was in the movie. Because we've already mentioned the, a couple of those people. There's a lot of other people in this movie that you'll recognize. Um, even if you don't know their name, you'll recognize them. Uh, we also have one of the Culkins uh, who plays uh, his roommate. We have mm-hmm. all sorts Kieran, of people. My yeah, favorite, My favorite Culkin. Yeah. He looks pretty young in this. He does not look like Secession uh, Karen Culkin. I think Karen Culkin looks the same no matter what he's in. Really? Even, I think like, he looks older now. Even when he was like a, like a seven-year-old in Home Alone. He's probably even younger than that in Home Alone. I still think that he looks the same. Right. What's the movie that we saw recently with Macaulay Culkin? Maybe just watched Saved recently. No. It's like a recent, or it's a show. Remember, he's like the kid of somebody. He like mm-hmm. has to forgive him. Oh, he was in The Righteous Gemstones. There we go. Um, there was uh, Mae Whitman, who also played not an ex-boyfriend, but an ex-girlfriend. Also... Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman's also, in my mind, connected to this time period. True. Um, he hasn't done a whole lot since then. No, only when Wes Anderson calls, does he do anything? Which is, I guess, what he was <laughs> mainly doing then. But Wes Anderson was re- releasing more movies. Uh, but yeah, there's a, I mean, just a ton <clears throat> of people. There was a time in my life where I thought Jason Schwartzman and Jason Biggs were the same person. Who's Jason Biggs? The main guy in American Pie. Oh, that guy. Eh, they don't really look the same. I they don't give me the same vibe. I don't know. They're both named Jason. Yeah, I don't know. Jason Schwartzman the um, plays a villain in this. He's like the main evil ex, and it's like a somewhat unique role for him, though he plays kind of the same character that he always plays, even though now he's doing it as a villain. Uh, another person, though, that was in this was uh, Nelson Franklin. Oh, yeah. What's his face from um, New Girl? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we pointed out when uh, he first came on. That's the guy you might not know his name, but he's definitely familiar when you if, see him. If you watch uh, New Girl, he played uh, Cece's dorky boyfriend after she broke up with Schmidt. Yeah. He was also really lovable. Dave, that was his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we already mentioned like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and, and mm-hmm. some of those other people, Allison Pill. Uh, tons of people in this movie. One of the people in this movie that is one of my favorite characters is Ellen Wong, who plays Knives. Oh, yeah. Knives Chow. I absolutely love all the jokes surrounding Knives because she's still in high school. Scott Pilgrim is like right out of high school and everybody like keeps relentlessly making fun of him as they should for dating Knives at the at the beginning of the movie. Clearly, he ends up not pursuing that because he ends up with Ramona, who has all the evil exes. Right. However, when he is dating Knives, they make all sorts of jokes. And I love that when he has like comebacks that kind of acknowledge the situation but he's still like really defensive about it because at one point in time, I think it's after he's already interested in Ramona and he's kind of talking about it to multiple people. One of his friends comes back and is like, but aren't you already dating knives? And he says, she's only allowed out when the sun's up. So I wouldn't call it dating. (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought that was a really good quote. That's a good quote. He also, like, multiple of his friends and his sister also, which Aubrey Plaza plays his sister, right? Uh, no, on no, Anna Kendrick. Paper. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza hates him and is his sister's friend or coworker, one of the two. Yeah. Anna Kendrick, right. Uh, she's always calling him randomly, and she gets all the inf- information from his roommate. Uh, but everybody also keeps telling him, you have to break up with your fake high school girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. I really loved it. There's also just a lot of callbacks. Like we said, video games are mentioned all the time in this. Uh, It's not really like that nerdy or hard to grasp, though. It's nothing niche. It's all just Zelda, Pac-Man, classic arcade games, that that type of stuff, you know. So things that you would definitely recognize, Mario. uh, You would probably recognize like the XP up and health bars and stuff like that that can show up in this. Right. But there are also a lot of references to just other media, movies and TV. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, uh, a scene when he first starts dating Ramona where it's like basically just a replica of Sein- a Seinfeld episode mm-hmm. where he like walks into the room and like they do like the la- like the mm-hmm. applause and the, the laugh track and all that right. stuff. That's one of my favorite scenes, too, of this. Yeah, I will say, too, like. What I also loved about this movie was the music, you know, like the huge plot point is Scott's band mm-hmm. and whatnot. And like the music of life, like the like the grungy new punk, I guess, like it's like it's almost grungy pop. Like it's not true, like 90s punk, I would say. But it's like that. It's like the sound of that era. Like, right. It's so funny because in my head, as I was about to describe it, I was like. It's like kind of like you think of like the music that defined that era of like Juno and like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And I realized that Michael Sarah's in both those movies too. <laughs> Wasn't Michael Sarah in a band too? Uh, I thought he was in a Nicola. real life band. I really know nothing about Michael Sarah's life. I'm almost entirely certain that he was. And it, I don't know if it was during the time that he was doing that or if it was after. You know, like he sang uh, like one or two songs for the uh, for Juno. And it was like on the soundtrack and whatever. But I'm pretty sure that he was in a band and that might have influenced some of this as well. Like in terms of him like being in the band. I don't know if he actually played any of his instruments, but I do know one time on Spotify I brought up Michael Zeras singing something. Yeah. So I'm looking it up on his Wikipedia. So in 2010, he contributed mandolin and backing vocals on Weezer's song, Hang On. Hmm. Um, and he is a touring bass player in the band Mr. Heavenly. He's also a member of the band Long Goodbye. Hmm. He had a debut album called True That in 2014. So I guess he maybe started doing music after acting. Yeah. More than concurrently. His film career really was going strong at the same time that like anybody would be like finding themselves like through music, you know? Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense that it was happening concurrently. Right. But I mean, like he's been an actor since he was a lot younger. Right. Oh, and that's the other... uh, I just remembered the other comic book connection is, of course, Captain Marvel, because Scott Pilgrim's evil ex, or somewhat evil ex, his non-super, but <laughs> but ex, <laughs> is Brie Larson. So we have at least three comic book superheroes uh, in this movie, let alone people who have probably been in comic book movies to some degree, like one or the other. Right. So I thought that was interesting, especially because it's not like the director liked those actors from comic book things and then put them in. They all went on to do comic book things. Right. Um, let's pivot to the drinkability of this movie because a very, a very rare event happened. Mm-hmm. And that I scored this a 10 out of 10 for a drinking movie. 
Uh, I was also going to score it a 10 out of 10. And here's another reason why. Because there was a direct quote to the second movie, Super Ex-Girlfriend, or My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. They literally reference the movie in this movie. That's so true. That has not happened before. Yeah, that was amazing. And like... I can confirm that it had been 10 years since Sean had watched this movie, so yep. it's not fresh on his mind to make this pairing. Yeah, uh, which, I mean, I guess it makes sense because the movie came out, like, just a year or two before this one. So, uh, I don't know. That kind of blew me away. The only thing that was ever a more perfect but accidental connection was Cellular and Fun Booth. Yeah. And that turns out that it was just the same person creating a sequel, essentially. Right. <laughs> so, but What's I your pairing? No so you're just like, I'm so great. Right. So that made it kind of special in terms of drinkability because we can drink to that, obviously, when it happens. And Yeah, the, but even like without that, it was an excellent drinking movie. Right. There's just so much you can drink to and it's all easily noticeable. It's not like something that happens in the background. It happens like not too frequently, but frequently enough that you're kind of continuously. Yeah, drinking. it was like the perfect pace because like it was the it was like fun calling it out like right. when it was happening like especially like the video game references and mm-hmm. introducing of an ex or like a fight or whatever like it was just a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, and also drinking to the people that you forget in the movie because they kind of show up at different points in time. Right. And so you can't kind of keep getting to do that. Right. Uh, It all worked really well, and they didn't overlap all that much, so you were able to drink one at a time instead of, like, a lot of things happening at once, and you have to drinking, you know, have to drink to all of them. Sound effects was another one because we we ended up drinking to sound effects. Yeah. Whatever that may be, there's, like, a million in this. So it's a lot of them are video game sound effects, but some of them are also just, like, comic book-style sound effects and... You know, you hit someone and it's like, you know, you know, you have like a symbol, you have the Seinfeld stuff. Like there are a lot of sound effects in this movie. Right. And then for me, I mean, I, this wasn't a drinking rule, but I just loved how many like quippy one liners there were. Uh, yeah. And I think that's just fun for a drinking movie. I like agree. it's fun to keep up with them. I like my t- type of humor. Ideally, is the type where there's asides, like comments that you just make. Right. Like they're not even necessarily supposed to be the focus. Mm-hmm. But just something you say, like offhanded, that's really funny. Uh, that's one of my favorite types of humor, and this has a lot of that in it. Right. Like one of my favorite parts is the vegan ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're like, "How did you get superpowers just from being vegan?" And he was like, "You know how you only use ten percent of your brain? The other ninety percent is curds and whey." <laughs> 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 like that's funny. Uh, a lot of the other jokes, like the ones I made. Uh, or the ones that I brought up earlier uh, kind of happened like very quickly as well. And then my favorite line in the whole movie is Scott Pilgrim is sitting eating like a ton of bread so- sticks and they're like, you can't eat that. Bread will make you fat. And he was like, bread makes you fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So what's interesting is like, so I've said it before, but I force myself to write down my scores like the second we end a movie because uh-huh. I feel like that's the most authentic scoring. Uh-huh. But it's so funny, like looking at the score I gave it, like I was surprised that I was that low, like just from sitting here talking about it. I'm like, why did I put it that way? But that's what I said. So that's what I'm going with. Okay. I gave it an 87, which is not, which is not low at all, but no. I thought I'd be like an 89 or 90 just based off sitting here talking about it again. Right. I, so that's actually right around where I am. I'm, I'm, wavering between 89 and 90 i think i'm gonna go with a 90 though Mm -hmm. just because this used to be one of my favorite movies for a while and 
I went back and watched it and it was still really good. Good. Yeah, so you're a giddy watching this. I think it should be high. Yeah. I, so I'd say 90. I mean, obviously this isn't like a masterpiece, right? But it's a very good movie. It's still funny. There isn't too much in it that got outdated, you yeah. know, like that aged poorly is what I meant to say. So, I mean, I, I think that this is a movie that like most people would like. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I would definitely put this in our greatest hits yeah. of movies that we've watched. Yeah, it was very good. And that it somehow tied directly to the to the next movie. Yeah. Speaking of the next movie, yeah. what is this monstrosity? So just to read a synopsis, it's a young man, played by Luke Wilson, discovers that the beautiful but manipulative woman Uma Thurman he is dating is really a superheroine known as G-Girl. G-Girl. <laughs> what a dumb name. <laughs> After breaking up with her, he learns that Quote, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Who wrote this? Good lord. Mm-hmm. As she unleashes her considerable powers against him. That's so, it? Yep. Okay. That's it. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we looked up the synopsis last time, I, I looked on, I think, IMDb that time, and it was essentially like one sentence or two sentences. So yeah. uh, this isn't a very deep movie. Um, this movie is literally just uh, a guy with an ex-girlfriend who has superpowers. Okay. Who's terrorizing him, I'm assuming. So I thought that was a pretty good connection to have the super exes. You yeah, know, on the, paper, it makes sense. But yeah, now this is a super ex. He's not going to fight her, but you know. I just recall uh, at the end of last week's episode that you said something about a shark being thrown into a window. So yeah. I'm not anticipating being excited about this. Uh, yeah, we're, I guess we'll see. But uh, that's all I remember about this movie because I didn't ever see it. I saw the trailers for it because it looked really bad. So uh, I'm assuming that it is going to be very bad. Yeah. Were you able to find a drinking rules for it? No, I was not. And so that's another sign that it's probably pretty bad because (laughs) the only types of movies that don't have drinking movies. Drinking movies? (laughs) Drinking movies that don't have drinking (laughs) rules. Sorry. uh, Either movies that are too old and obscure or like art house movies or bad movies that nobody wanted to see. I'm guessing this isn't an art house movie. No. <laughs> I mean, who knows? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I mean, it looks really bad. So there were no drinking rules for this. And so uh, just from what I know about the movie from the trailers and the synopses, I think what we're going to have to do is just go with stereotypes and base it off of that. Because I'm sure this movie is not going to be very deep. It's not going to make a lot of like commentary. You don't think it's going to be nuanced? No. It's going to rely on a lot of overblown stereotypes. Which will I like more, this or Mystery Men? I have no idea. Me either. Because I liked Mystery Men, but <laughs> you didn't. So if you can help me brainstorm real quick some rules for this. The first one that comes to mind is whenever Uma Thurman acts like the crazy ex right yeah like they're like making her like a stereotypical like hysterical woman right so like the the whole hysterical woman vibe yeah that's one that i think is going to happen um anytime that luke wilson like you're supposed to pity luke wilson i think that would be a good drinking rule okay you know what i mean because like he's like the man who's like just wants to live a normal life but his crazy girlfriend like ex-girlfriend is like just ruining everything he does right oh um anna ferris is in this as the love interest, oh, uh, like the conflicting love interest. Uh, and so I'd say anytime that Anna Ferris is sexualized or anytime Uma Thurman is sexualized, I bet they'll both be sexualized. Man, that's just putting the icing on the cake of me knowing when I hate this movie. I hate Anna Ferris. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a different type of role for her. 
Yeah, and, my super ex-girlfriend is going to be real Oscar-worthy material for her. Yep. Uh, anytime Uma Thurman uses her superpowers or you see a new superpower, that could be one. Yeah. Do you have any other? I just, I would say a drink for the cringe. Yeah. Anytime that you have to cringe over something. Yeah. Okay. I have no, I do not have any high hopes for this. Do you have a shot in the dark though? If I did, I don't know it. Okay. So I'll go ahead and start us off shot in the dark because I've been thinking about this. Okay. My shot in the dark is that Uma Thurman's alter ego whatever that may be. Cause I'm assuming she has an alter ego, right? If he doesn't immediately know that she's a hero and whatever, my shot in the dark is that she's going to be like really clumsy and ditzy. And then when she transforms, it's like, Oh my God, look, she's not clumsy and ditzy. Right. Um, my shot in the dark is like, like, a how do I explain this? Like a ridiculous scene of like her trying to be like, a normal person and like trying to explain that like she is ordinary and a normal person. And all the while, like while she's trying to explain that, like she like has to like catch like a car coming at them or something. Mm, that's you a good one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's like a trope that is in all these types of movies. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So like say they're like on the street talking and she was like, it's okay. Like I, I'm just like you, like I do everything that you do. And then she has to like, literally like reach out and grab, like stop a car as yeah. she's speaking or something like that. Yeah. That's a really good one. Okay. Glad you think so. Yeah. Okay. Let's go watch this monstrosity. Okay. You mean shark strosity. I don't get that. I just took monstrosity and put shark in it. <laughs> oh, I thought you said church. <laughs> no, I said, I said shark strosity. I was like, what does church have to do with us? No. Oh boy, we're back from watching my super ex girlfriend. <laughs> from the sounds, it sounds like you did not like it. What? Yeah. What if I came back and I was like, this is my favorite movie? <laughs> I mean, I've seen weirder things. Like what? I don't know. There's some, like, every once in a while, there'll just be something that you just really, really like that catches me off guard. Huh. Yeah. If you think of something, let me know. I'm interested in what that could be. What's that one movie where they are reproducing or like putting on a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Get over it. Yeah, this was see, a get over it podcast for a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, so get over it. I, I couldn't I blinked on the name there for a second. Get over it. That is an exact example <sighs> of a movie that I thought you would hate because it has every element of something you would hate. Oh my God. And it's instead the best you loved movie. it. I love that movie so much. Also, John Tucker must die. I don't love that movie. Well, but when we went into watching that movie, you said it like as like, I really liked this in high school or whatever. No, I didn't. Yeah, you announced it as a movie you used to like watching. I don't think so. I think this is an episode that we can go back and fact check. Mm, I'm pretty sure that you announced this as like, I used to like this movie, but I understand it's bad. I mean, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I thought that was another one. But Get Over It is for sure one. That it has everything that you should hate in a movie. That you normally would hate in a movie. But you love that movie. Get over it. It's the best movie ever created. It's centered around a musical. With Cisco. <laughs> that, that's the problem. Does that not sound like a great premise? You are not. Like, that doesn't help your argument. It does. Like, one, like, finding a musical I don't like other than Les Mis and Cats. I'm sure there's something I'm out there. on the roof. <laughs> You're naming it. <laughs> <And> what side story? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, 
I know the other one you don't like, the Phantom of the Opera 2. I did not like the second one. The I one in Coney the, Island. The um, Love Never Dies. Yeah. Ugh. I enjoyed the first one, though. What an idea to move Phantom of the Opera to Coney Island, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is the... Pre- wait, I, one, one last thing about <laughs> Phantom of the Opera 2. What is the premise by which they go from a theater in Paris to America, sure. If you want to reset it in America, go ahead and reset it in America. Why Coney Island? I don't know. It means that you're requiring me to listen to what they're saying during that horrible, horrible show. I just, I never understood it because New York City itself is like a cultural center, like the biggest cultural center in the United States. I understand moving it from Paris to there. That's not weird. What's weird is that they moved it to Coney Island. Yeah. Coney Island. This is like... <laughs> It, that, it makes no sense to me, but there, there's no opera or theater or like, it's, it's just a carnival. Yeah. But isn't that like the, I feel like that's like a great uh, metaphor or facsimile of. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to give a, <laughs> I think you're just grabbing at straws here. To... No, like if you gave me a minute, I could write a paper on it. Okay. Well, like what it symbolizes. All I think is that when we saw that movie or not the movie, but the play actual play version of it, I don't know if there is a movie the second one, um, that it was just, it was so bad. We almost left. Yeah. It's hard to follow. It was like real dumb. And a lot of it is kind of carnival themed. Yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so there are many musicals you don't like is my point. And, uh, we just named well, like a I whole can, bunch. <laughs> I can tell you the Cisco uh, performing as Puck in a Midsummer Night Stream is not one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, all that to say, uh, your taste is back to where it normally is with my super <laughs> ex-girlfriend. Because oh, this movie was so bad. It was really bad. It's like nothing about this movie is original in any way. The dialogue is not original. The characters are not original. The settings are not original. It's literally like if I went to you, like the way they were pitching this movie must have been like, okay, so like there's this like generic guy, uh, maybe Luke Wilson. And uh, what is a job that you do in New York City? He's an architect. Mm -hmm. And then like uh, he's dating some like blonde woman, like Umar Thurman. (laughs) 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 Like this pitch could not have been anybody excited to pitch this. It must have literally just been like like an ad lib of what is a storyline you could set in New York City, see nothing in New York City, do nothing original. And literally, so it's literally just two people having a feud in New York City. Yeah, and it's like... While living in apartments they can't afford. And nobody seemed like they were having a good time. (laughs) Like, everybody seemed like they were like, yep, I gotta pay for that new house I just bought. Yeah, I mean, there was no chemistry between any characters. No, and you want to know how I knew that this was not going to work out? How? Fucking Eddie Izzard shows up just like he did in Mystery Men. That is true. He did show up. And uh, was he better in this? I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't, I, no, he was more, at least more Eddie Ezzard-like in Mystery Men than... Yeah, that's true. He plays this kind of strange character in this. He's kind of a super villain of sorts, but I don't know. I don't know. That, that was confusing. This movie, though, starts off literally like every single movie that you have ever seen set in New York City. 
which is literally just like an aerial shot of mm-hmm. New York City mm-hmm. as it like zooms through the things. This could literally be it, the soundtrack playing too. This could be any movie in the late 90s to early 2000s set in New York City on yeah. opening. Yeah, for sure. It's How to like Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Elf. Elf. Uh, a New York Minute with Mary-Kate and Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> but like where you start off literally just kind of like seeing like the Statue of Liberty, yeah. the Empire State Building, and like this is all aerial. And then like there's like a slightly orchestral background music to yeah, it. Yeah, like. literally Uh, but that type of music is also something we've noticed in bad movies from this era because it keeps making a reappearance i I I just keep buying the same song uh maybe so and maybe it's just that it was like like royalty free royalty free music (laughs) um that's my best guess too but it's just weird i guess maybe royalty free music back then was like more limited Mm -hmm. you know and so you just have these like lyricless orchestral pieces. Well, they have, pieces. like, pretty decent, like, composers attached to them. Like, uh, I feel like I'm probably butchering his name, but I feel like Christopher Beck was somebody at that time. He was, like, on everything. Hmm. Um, like, it isn't, of course, they aren't using, like, a Hans Zimmer or anything like that. But, right. like, you know, like, they, they use people who have some really big credits to their name. No, and, and that's true. I don't know who was on this one. Um, it was not Danny Elfman or <laughs> anybody like that. But to me, it's just like that music is a very clear and immediate sign that this movie is not going to be good. Right. Because when you look at good movies from those eras, they don't have that type of music. Right. Uh, they may not have like lyrics. They may not have songs that you have to pay a ton of money to have. But they don't have whatever this specific type of... I call it Winnie the Pooh music because it is what I associate with, like, if you were just showing 100 Acre Wood or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's the music <laughs> that would be playing in the background. <laughs> and that is the movie that is in a lot, especially comedies of this era, but not just comedies, because we just watch some dramas, you know, uh, romantic movies, whatever, and they have the same thing, if they're not good. The other thing that I pointed out which also fits in with other bad movies of this era, like Along Came Polly, Duplex, uh, though I think Duplex was better than Along Came Polly. They go on an, a first date to an Indian restaurant. Always. I don't know what that is. It, it, I don't know if it's just like, hey, look, it's New York. Mm-hmm. It's so exotic. Yeah. They have Indian food. Like, yeah. I don't know if back then that was like, wow, Indian food. Right. Who's ever seen that before? Right. Maybe, maybe so. Like, maybe when this came out, well, this isn't that old. But like maybe in the mid two thousands, that was considered just like exotic. I don't think it's considered exotic anymore to have Indian food. We probably have that. like twenty Indian restaurants in Memphis. But for whatever reason, it's always where you take a first date. Though maybe it's because in comedies you always have that stupid joke that's basically about you go to an Indian restaurant, you eat Indian food, and then you like have diarrhea or flatulence. I feel like maybe that's why Indian food actually shows up as a first date in so many movies. I don't know. Because that's like a classic Ben Stiller or Adam Sandler type joke is that you go get Indian food and then like your stomach audibly bubbles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Luckily, they didn't pull that here. Uh, What they do pull, though, is kind of your shot in the dark in some ways where she's acting like a completely normal person, her whatever her alter, alter ego is, and... 
they're at this date and she keeps leaving the date to use the bathroom quote quote, but mm-hmm. she's actually going out and like doing multiple things to right. save the city. Right. Which I'll say it's not my shot in the dark, but it's kind of close, but yes, similar in theory, but not the exact scene I was looking for. Right. Uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. The way that they go on their dates is this cliche as well. Like they almost immediately start talking about sex and like having like, back and forth, like, mm-hmm. kind of dirty talk, mm-hmm. almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of ridiculous. The way he meets her is, like, he's on a subway and someone takes her purse. Mm-hmm. And then Luke Wilson, like, is like, I'm going to be a man and, like, go get your purse back. Mm-hmm. And he runs off and then, like, basically like, gets trapped and is about to get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> the shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the shit beat out of him. <laughs> and he jumps in a dumpster to hide. And when he gets out, like, the person's gone. Because clearly Uma Thurman has, like, beaten him up and, like, put him somewhere. Um, So he doesn't know for a little while that Uma Thurman is a superhero. Uh, Right. And your shot in the dark kind of hit, except for the fact that she is ditzy and crazy throughout the whole movie, regardless of if she's a superhero or not. Well, the other thing is that she's not really ditzy. Because I was going for the quintessential, like, you can't stand. Like, like the girl who, like, constantly trips over her feet. Who's clumsy. Yeah, uh, which is like in all of these movies. Right. Anna Ferris plays many of those types of characters. Super ditzy, kind of like airhead, like, you know, like, whoa, like the way she, like the best friend she played in um, Hot Chick. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, like, like completely like just can't follow anything, like that type of thing. Uh-huh. She kind of played that character also in the uh, scary movies to some regard. Yeah. Um, that's just like a thing that exists in these movies, especially. So... I thought maybe that's where they would go with it. They go kind of just go with crazy. And at first I was like, this person isn't even that crazy. Like they keep calling her crazy, but she doesn't really do anything crazy until like halfway through the movie. And then Mm -hmm. she gets like extremely crazy. It's kind of weird. There's almost no development to it because like, yes, they do end up breaking up and whatever. And like, that's what like makes her really, really insane. Mm -hmm. But like he, the way he talks about her, which one, he's talking about her mostly to his best friend, who is played by Rain Wilson. This is like, <laughs> he was already in the office mm-hmm. when this movie came out. Uh, Rain Wilson plays the like quintessential, like horn dog best friend that cares about nothing but sex. That is like the wingman of every comedy of this era, like Wedding Crashers, like, like everything, every single thing in this time period is that that is your best friend like constantly trying to hook up with women constantly trying to do whatever uh normally at the end of the movie they do hook up with with someone who's like extremely beautiful or something like that like Mm -hmm. this type of character exists in all of these movies that character in this one is rain wilson right which like in this movie it's like almost like a feud between luke wilson and, and rain wilson about like who has bagged like the hottest girl and like luke wilson is like oh my god i'll definitely win now that i like have slept with g girl like when he finds out that she's g girl right and he was like this is gonna like put whatever his name is i don't remember uh rain wilson's name (laughs) in this movie he's he's very forgettable but he's like this is gonna put his story to shame because like supposedly rain wilson hooked up with like a supermodel or something like that (laughs) or like a playboy like model like but that story was not supposed to be a joke. Like, it was supposed to be taken as true. Right. So, you know, that's kind of, like, where we are with this. 
Uh, which also, speaking of G-Girl, G-Girl also makes a connection back to um, Scott Pilgrim because Gideon, who is the main ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. goes by G-Man. Oh, you're right. In uh, Scott Pilgrim and Uma Thurman in this is known oh. as G-Girl, but not G-Woman. I also don't know what the G stands for. They don't like mm-hmm. they, they don't talk about that at all. Was Scott Pilgrim inspired after watching this horrible movie? It might have been. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they try to make a better version of this. I'm not, I'm not I mean, exactly like, sure. They're like called the Super Ex-Boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a direct reference to it. G-Man, after their main character, is called G-Girl. Yeah, but I think this only came out like a year apart. Yeah, but still. You would have had already been filming the movie. I don't know. Okay, can we wrap this up? <laughs> I did not like this movie. <laughs> Yeah, the last thing I was going to say about this movie, though, which I think is the worst part about it. This movie has so many references to sex in it. Almost limitless numbers. It's not very graphic, but they always reference sex or they do something sexual. So in terms of drinking rules, that is the one that I think hits by far the most. For sure. That it is just constant sexualization of virtually every character. (laughs) Which is kind of strange, especially when you see the storyline of what's going on. Uh, But, for instance, I jotted down some notes. So, one, I already mentioned that on their first date, Luke Wilson and Uma Thurman almost immediately start, like, dirty talking to each other across the table. Okay, so that's, like, the first thing that happens. They go back to her uh, flat, which is, or maybe it's his flat. Yeah, it's his flat. Uh, They both have, like, excessively nice flats that neither of them could afford in New York City. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, maybe she could afford it if somehow she's getting money from being a superhero. But he's an architect. He's not even considered, like, a partner. Like, I don't think he's not, like, a, an owner of the architecture firm. He works there mm-hmm. in a cubicle. I don't think he can afford this, like, 2,000 or 2,500 square foot loft, mm-hmm. like, penthouse in New York City. Mm-hmm. But regardless, they go back there. Then there's a sex scene where... She essentially just is on top and, like, is doing him so hard that it shoves the bed, like, (laughs) through the wall. And, like, it's like a Twilight sex scene. Uh, I think it, like, it crashes the bed through the floor or something like that. And then the neighbor is like, oh, my God, what did you do? And and they're, like, in this bed or whatever, covering up in the the covers. That's before he knows that she's a superhero, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You find out that the way that G-Girl got her powers... Is that she was at essentially makeout point back in high school. Uh, she was like a weird girl who had braces or like had messed up teeth or something like that and was considered like the outcast at school. And mm-hmm. then she goes to makeout point with her like former best friend mm-hmm. and a meteor hits and mm-hmm. gives her her powers. Right. And what does it do as soon as it gives her her powers? Uh, it grows her boobs, uh-huh. it straightens her teeth, <laughs> and it gives her blonde hair <laughs> because she originally has brown hair. Uh, so she comes to school and now everybody's like, oh my gosh, look at her now. Right. And she has big boobs, blonde hair, straight teeth. Right. Uh, so that, uh, there's a scene after Luke Wilson knows that she's a superhero where she flies him into the sky and has sex with him. Oh while God, holding him so bad in the, in the air. Yeah. And he's like terrified. That's actually one of the first scenes where he's like kind of traumatized by it. And is like, she's crazy. She mm-hmm. like, is trying to kill me. Cause, but he also had sex with her in the air. I, I, it's, it's very strange. 
the most egregious thing, the most egregious sexualization that happened in this entire movie was of Anna Ferris. And it was specifically one scene where you're almost supposed to take Luke Wilson's side. Mm-hmm. He hurts his finger. Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman shows up randomly to like say like, hey, I brought you lunch or mm-hmm. whatever. Like at your office. Mm-hmm. He's literally in his office, right. in the office building. She walks in and Anna Ferris, after he hits his finger, is like, oh my God, like here, give it to me. And literally starts sucking his finger. Mm-hmm. And it is supposed to not be sexual. Mm-hmm. Like, at, like while you're watching this, obviously it is sexual. Mm-hmm. But it is supposed to be like, oh, she's just like helping him with his finger mm-hmm. by literally sucking on it. Then you're supposed to think that Uma Thurman is crazy for seeing this going down and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite wild. I brought this up to Ashley because I was like, if you ever came, like if either of us ever went I to each other's office. I would burn the fucking building down. And somebody was sucking on our fingers? Like oh that is weird. Like that is beyond strange. Like there's no context in which that is like not the weirdest thing you've ever no. seen. Sean's favorite story is when you're at Beer Fest, we were, we like always make pretzel necklaces when we go to a beer festival. Like to like, you know, mm-hmm. chew on a, on a pretzel while we're drinking beer. Right. And there are these drunk girls like running around and they like running up to men and like biting the pretzels off their necklaces to anybody who had a pretzel necklace. Yeah. And so some girl comes and tries to do it to Sean and my drunk self takes that girl by the face and like throws her backwards and screams (laughs) disrespectful. (laughs) So yeah, I think if I walked in somebody sucking your finger, I probably would be in jail. (laughs) Well, and here's the thing. Uh, well, about the, those girls, uh, that was not invited either. It, that was not a like, hey, you want my pretzels? Like, ha, ha. Like, it was not mm-hmm. a flirtatious. It was yeah. a literally these two drunk sorority girls looking girls. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're sorority girls or not. Uh, college age girls, definitely, uh, came up to me and my friend. Just literally grabbed the pretzels off our neck and mm-hmm. bite them without asking. And they're putting their, like, <laughs> mouths all, like, close to your neck. Mm-mm. Not okay. I'm sure that for them that, like... A lot of the guys let them do it because it's like yeah, like right, like yeah, it was like an attention grabbing type thing. But yeah, no, not around me. Yeah, <laughs> disrespectful. <laughs> Anyways, okay, this movie I gave it a seven out of ten for drinkability. What did you give it? Um, I'm just gonna give it a six out of ten for drinkability. It's well, one, there's a problem in that there's no drinking rules. <laughs> right. We came up with reasonably good drinking rules, but right. the movie's just like not good. It's not that fun to drink to. Um, it's not the worst movie you've ever seen. It still is a perfectly fine drinking movie. Not the best drinking movie that you could that you could watch. Right. Oh, okay. So I'm interested in hearing your rating first mm-hmm. because I I have my rating. Like I said, I wrote it immediately after we finished watching the movie. Yep. But I purposefully did not let myself go back and see what I gave Mystery Man as a score. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know if I like this movie more or less than Mystery Men. So what was your score? <laughs> uh, for my score, I would give this a 20. Okay. I weirdly gave this a 24. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's how I was feeling. Do you remember what I gave Mystery Men? I think it was in the teens, but it might have been in the 20s. Okay. Well, I have my tr- trusty notebook where I write down all my scores in front of me. So let me flip back to when we watch Mystery Men. Mystery Men puts this movie to shame, Ashley. I rated Mystery Men at 28. So, 
Mystery Men is somehow better to me than Ashley, this com- movie. Compare those movies. Okay. Compare Mystery Men to this movie. Yeah, Eddie Ezzard is in both of them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. Everything <laughs> about Mystery Men is better than this. No, it's not. Yeah, the jokes are better. I would say it's like 4% than... better. Oh, jeez. Four <laughs> percentage points, Ashley. Yeah, four percentage points. Not four percent better. Goodness. Four... <laughs> it's not the same? No. Oh, oh. Gotta cut that out. We can't. <laughs> we can't have it on record that I might not understand percentages. <laughs> well, four, kind of four percentage points. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right, a percent increase would be would be different. Well, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I do understand percent. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was I was just joking. Anyway, but Anyways. so that is a travesty because uh, Mystery Man is just so much better than than this movie in every given way. Uh, the narrative is better. The jokes are better. Yes, there are some cringy parts. They don't do this like cringy oversexualization in Mystery Men. That's true. Because um, there's no woman in it. That's not, not true. Cr- there's one woman in it. One. Uh, there are multiple. Uh, there's the waitress at the diner Kinda that sexualized. is his like girlfriend. No, not really. There's like almost no scene where they sexualize her. Two. There is Janine Garofalo. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. Uh, three. There is the Blue Raj's mother. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Four. Oh my god. There is the sexualized group of uh, like the like disco chick type, uh, whatever they are. Like, I should have let Pretzel Girl have you all those years ago. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> okay, let's sign up. We got a treat in store for next week. Uh huh. I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast, but boy, have we talked about a lot about it in our own lives. And that is a travesty that is a little movie called Morbius. Yeah. And we have relentlessly joked about how horrible this movie is. I have been begging the universe for this movie to fail ever since I saw its first trailer. Sounds like I'm in good spirits with the universe because boy did it. And that did only fail once. It failed twice with a Sony (laughs) (laughs) re-release. A (laughs) re-release that did not work. (laughs) Into theaters. Um, So, good news. It now costs two ninety nine to rent because <laughs> I was not paying twenty bucks for that movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm excited to see how terrible it is. I'm assuming it's just absolutely abysmal. It looks like one of the worst comic book movies I can think of in recent memory. Yeah, uh, worse than well, Batman vs Superman. There's something about that movie that I think it's like one of the worst comic book movies I've ever seen. Yeah, it, it is just so abysmally bad and. Nossa. Yeah, like literally, like, like Batman almost like <laughs> literally trying to kill Superman has him like on the ropes is about to actually kill him when I guess Superman just randomly says Martha because he's mm-hmm. like had the shit beat out of him so bad he's just like flashing back to his childhood or something like that. Yeah, and I always call my mom by her first name, which <laughs> yeah. as I'm saying that out loud, I kind of do. So <laughs> well, yeah, you do. It's not it's not a very good example. <laughs> but literally, that scene that that scene that's not even the like what makes that movie a really, really bad movie, but it's one of the worst parts of that movie. Because it's literally like, Batman is literally, has literally one, hears the word Martha and goes, Martha? (laughs) Like, (laughs) like literally like, is like so shook that he like, literally just like, has a truce with Superman. Right. So, so stupid. And that is, it's based on a graphic novel that's really good and was like revolutionary, right? Because you pit, uh, Batman against Superman. Nobody done like thought to do something like that before. What an abysmal movie! But yeah. Morbius, 
I don't know anything about the like source material for Morbius. I, I, I know like very vaguely what Morbius is. So this is not something I have a connection to. So I won't be like angry at how much they like ruin it. I don't know if yeah. anybody's like a Morbius fan. Like, I don't know if there's anybody Surely out there not. who. I mean, um, there's probably someone, right? But like, sure. this isn't like Wolverine Kinda or like how Spider-Man. I'm the one get over it fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> um, well, this so just like for a heads up, our episode next week is not going to be like our traditional pairing. I think we're just going to watch Morbius and yeah. like get drunk and tell you our <laughs> thoughts on it. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I'm excited to see this. I'm excited I, should... I only have to pay $2.99 for it. Yeah, there's no way that we were going to see this in theaters, and neither time. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't give a discount the second time it came out. Yeah, Uh, I I think this movie is going to be absolutely terrible. It might be a good drinking movie. It might be so bad that it's not a good drinking movie. Who knows? But until next time. Yeah, well, we'll be back. It'll be Mormon time. (laughs) Mormon time. (laughs) All right. I had to figure out how to work it in. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.